The election is over and the campaigning is all done. Uh, the ads are gone too. So we talked about it here for a little bit and wanted to bring in a guest into the Cold Oatmeal Studios to help us wrap it all up. So we invited a stand-up comic, of course. Dwayne Gill, the funny cop, is our guest today. And we don't spend a single minute talking about politics. Dwayne's been a Michigan State police trooper for more than 25 years and a stand-up comedian for almost that same amount of time. How to get started? What do you learn at comedy school? Yes, there is such a thing. How do you get a gig and build your name in comedy? A little parental discretion may be advised, but you're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Are we recording a new intro this season? Why? I'm just wondering. Are you saying that you've had enough of Sarah Humphrey? No, 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 no. I, mean, I, I love Sarah. I would like to be a part of the intro. I think that right. would be nice. Well, why don't we work that little line in? That was good. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a spot for it. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his It's, it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of the fruit to disgusting Get some disgusting stuff and some forget. There's nothing disgusting. One part What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apple. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Resch. I'm the owner here at Resch Strategies. Uh, we're a public affairs and a public relations firm located in Lansing, Michigan. You can always find us at ResStrategies.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Resch Strategies. Um, our podcasts, all of them, now this is number 23, all of them are on our website. You can also find them on iTunes and any other place um, where podcasts are, are housed. So I want to go around the room quick and um, let the team introduce themselves. We'll start here with Joe. Joe Beshi. Nikki O'Mara. Oh. Nick DeLue is here. Stephanie Vancouvering. Now, I, this, I did want to say, and it's a bit on, of a sad note to start off with, this this could very well be Nikki's last podcast with us. God. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so, yeah. um, no, we talked about it a lot this morning. We did. It's been the subject uh, of our conversation. We're coming to you. We're actually sitting here on a Friday afternoon. You'll, be, you'll all be listening to this in a few days on a Thursday. But I just want to talk about my morning. <clears throat> Your morning. Um, well, I'll, you can see no, it. You'll, you'll be able to hear it from my perspective. Okay, great. <laughs> so I was sitting at the dining room table, um, had my son home from school for the day, um, doing some work on the laptop, and I went to find uh, the document I always use to outline these podcasts so I could put some questions together and outline for our guest, and all, all the documents were gone. <laughs> and then I looked in the corner of my screen, I got a little notice from Dropbox. That says Nikki O'Meara has deleted fifteen thousand files. <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't it's sound really not funny. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need some of those fifteen thousand files. <laughs> so I kind of poked around a little bit longer, and then another little notice pops up, and it says Nikki O'Meara has deleted thirteen thousand files. And so I dialed Nikki up and said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I was freaking. What were well, you doing? <laughs> I wasn't freaking out yet, but I was freaking out after you told me what I did. I thought that I was taking the Dropbox off of my computer and leaving it for all of you. But what I actually did was I deleted 50,000 of our files it's only, and it's only 10 left them work, all on my all. computer. Yeah. <laughs> so It's only my entire career. It's been a that's great right. day. It was, nice. it was nice while it lasted, but it's yeah. all gone. We're getting them back. Yes. Hopefully by Monday. It looks like my computer what? says what? it's going to take three days. Yeah. What? What? You were not going to be able to work this weekend. I'm sorry. Ugh, sorry, Steph. Take a break. Bummer. Yeah. I added some of them manually back on there. So okay. what I could. We okay. do have some things, but not everything. This this is strike two, though, right? For Nick. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. What, what did you? How much money did you spend on Facebook? Seven hundred dollars. Okay, that was about. I am good at my job. Six hundred fifty dollars more than you were supposed to. <laughs> so okay, yeah, strike two. Anyway, we are coming to you. This is, it'll be Thursday. I think it'll be the 9th. So this will be two days after the election. Oh and, you know, we figured that, you know, after 18 months of all the, the garbage that we've all been subjected to that, you know, what, what should we do? What kind of guests should we have on? How about a stand-up comic? So we are not going to talk about politics at all. Um, we are going to talk to Dwayne Gill. 
Um, folks here in Lansing probably know know Dwayne as the funny cop. He is a longtime member of the uh, Michigan State Police Force. Uh, I met Dwayne back years and years ago when we both worked for Governor Engler. Mm-hmm. I was not on the governor's detail, but my office was next to where the guys hung out, and so I got to know Dwayne back then. Um, and I've worked with him over the years when he was legislative liaison with the department, kept in touch, followed his career, on his comedy career on Facebook. And so we wanted to have Dwayne on to talk a little bit about life as a comic, life as a cop, and how you kind of start this this one-man show, market yourself, and get yourself out there. So Dwayne Gill, thanks for being with us. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Well, this is this will be fun. It's yeah. always a little intimidating to have a professional, a professional humorist and jokester on when we all, when we all are very, very much amateur of, uh, at that. But let me. I want to say so. You are you're working your your day job, so to speak. Right. You got meetings and stuff. Yes. How many times do you go into a meeting and someone says, "Hey, say something funny." Oh, man, Matt, every day, <laughs> every day. I mean, even when I was a legislative liaison, before we give a testimony on a bill or something, there. The reps are like, hey, uh, tell us a joke. Because, you know, there's nothing funnier than the state rep. Exactly. state reps are the funniest people on the face of the earth. But I would always have something ready. So, (laughs) 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 But humor is just so awesome. I mean, to me, I love it. I love comedy. I've been a fan of comedy all my life. When I was little, I used to watch uh, stand-up comedians and different funny shows. And, and, uh, I mean, I'm just so blessed that I found my niche in life, and and that's the comedy. So was that that's your first love? You were you were a comic before you were a cop. Whether or not, whether or not you were getting paid to do it yet, was it? Did you want to be a, grow up want to be a police officer too, or is that? No, no. Actually, my my thing when I was growing up, I wanted to be in the military, and I wanted to be an officer in the military. I don't care Army, Air Force, Marines, and and uh, that was I was an ROTC. Actually, I went to a. Let me back up. When I grew up, I used to always see my dad's picture. He was a World War II veteran mm-hmm. in his uniform. And so, obviously, as a kid, that leaves a big impression on you. You see your dad in uniform. He's like, man, I want to do I want to do what he did. And so, I, that made me want to become a military guy. So, uh, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, eventually, I said, I want to go to military school. My parents were like, military school? You want to go to military school? Yeah. I actually wrote to school. Myself sent them a letter. They sent us some information. I get mail at home. I'm like nine years old. My parents are like, "What the? You get you get mail? You know? <laughs> Were you really just nine? Yeah, I was nine. I sent a letter to military <laughs> school, and they sent me collateral material. Here's the guy who was a cadets, and this is life of a cadet at Florida Air Academy in Plantation, Florida. I was glad it wasn't Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the life of a cadet is great, you know. So I said, I want to go here. My parents are like, you want to go? Yeah, I said, I don't want to be here in Detroit going to school. I, I fight the school on the way to school. I fight at school. I fight on the way home. Yeah, get me out of here. So they they sent me. And All the way I, to Florida? I went to Florida. I went to a boarding academy, military school, from the sixth grade to wow. the ninth grade. And it was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot. Uh, I had a great time there. I uh, met some people that are still lifelong friends to this day. But then when I got into ninth grade, obviously, you know, 14, you start smelling yourself, thinking about girls, and I'm in an all-boys school. I want to go to school with girls now, mm-hmm. so I want to come home. So I came home, and I tried to get into Cass Tech High School, which was like the premier school mm-hmm. down in Detroit. Couldn't get in because I already started curriculum in ninth grade, and I finished that, so I had to go in 10th grade to Mumford High School. Went to Mumford. I was weird at Mumford because I talked like I was a white guy. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm being honest. I talked like I was a white guy because I was in Florida with these guys. I used to swim and do you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, hey, guys, how's it going? I'm Dwayne. You know, like, man, where are you from? Man? Where are you? <laughs> like, where's your crib at? I was like, my mother threw that out a long time ago. <laughs> you know, I was just a nerd. And uh, then I was in ROTC, and uh, and it was just weird. It's, but anyway, I... I, you know, I started making friends and, you know, starting to learn the neighborhood. And then uh, I got a job at this store called Man O' Man in Northland Mall where the coolest kids worked at. And then I got cool. So then, yeah, I got cool. So I wasn't just, just an RTC happened. nerd. And I got cool because I used to dress well and go to parties. And, and then at 17, I, I, was, I was trying to go into West Point, but I started getting cool. My grades went down. And... Uh, and I said, well, I'm just going to go into service. So 17, graduated high school in June of 81, went right into Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps from 81 to 91, had a great time in the Marines. I was 
I was in Okinawa was my first assignment mm-hmm. in Japan. Then I was in North Carolina. Then I went to Beirut. I was in Lebanon. Wow. Uh, I, I responded to the Marines getting killed over there in 84. So I was like one of the replacement Marines. Um, we got shot at every day. It was weird. It was crazy. But uh, we made it. And then I came back when I recruiting duty in Detroit. Um, and then when I was in recruiting, again, during all this time, you know, I used to watch television, mm-hmm. comics, whatever. I see comedians on TV and I say, man. Funnier than that guy, you know, because <laughs> I just be funnier among friends. Like everybody's funny among friends, right? And so then uh, I used to work. I always had a hustle, always had a hustle. So I used to work backstage security at the Fox Theater, and I got to see Bill Bellamy do stand up comedy. I don't know if you guys remember sure. Bill Bellamy. Yep. <laughs> used to be in the '90s, you know, MTV stuff. And so he coined the phrase "booty call," okay, and he was doing this bit. At the Fox, people were laughing. So he comes off stage and says, hey, man, how does somebody get into doing stand-up comedy like you? He says, well, what you need to do, go to your local comedy club, do open mic nights. And, you know, that's what I did from Jersey, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. So it took me about three years to get the courage. So I finally went to the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase in Ann Arbor, did five minutes of material, got laughs. And then the manager says, you know, you could do this. He says, but you you need to be a little bit more clean, you know, because I was thinking like Richard Pryor, Dale Hughley. I was just MF this, MF that, <laughs> blah, 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 GD, blah, blah. And he says, clean leads to green. The cleaner you are, the more money you can make. Okay. Good advice. Good advice, right? Still to this day. So I cleaned up my act, started doing stand-up more and more. And then, like I said, in the 95, I became a trooper. And I, you know, continued the day job stuff. And my best friend was a trooper. That's what made me want to be a police officer. So, I, you know, I had to make money. I had kids, mortgage, you know, life. But I said, well, I want to do stand-up. I, I, I'll figure it out on the side. And so I did it. And then a uh, little success. But I did the show at the State Theater in 1995 in April. It's like an Apollo night kind of contest. Mm-hmm. And I told my first joke, people laughed, and then I hesitated, then boo, boo, <laughs> boo, and the show business hook came out, and the Sandman, and birds flying, and <laughs> cats screaming, and, <laughs> and I just got kicked off the stage, and I said, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> so I quit for seven years, wow. and then in 2000, uh, uh, one or 2000, 2000 when we were on you know, detail mm-hmm. stuff, I said, well, let me give it another try. So I went to Mark Ridley's Comedy Club, Royal Oak, did five minutes, got my confidence back. And then I took the class in New York, got some more confidence. And then when I got back here, I started doing stand-up comedy at the Comedy Zone that used to be in Trippers. And I was the house MC. Okay. And so I used to MC every show, every weekend, you know, getting my chops, learning stagecraft, learning how to write jokes, learn how to do something different every week because different crowds come in, different comedians. And then uh, in 2005, I got an agent, and uh, I've been with Funny Business Agency out of Grand Rapids ever since. And I got a couple other agents. but uh, And then they put me on the road. So you mentioned you went to you went to comedy school in this, New York, this mm-hmm. time you spent in New York. American Comedy Institute. What What is a day of comedy school like? What do you learn at comedy school? <laughs> what do you learn at comedy school? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, being a Marine, first of all, I always knew that if you can get training in anything, you can learn anything. So I sought out the comedy school. They taught us uh, how to write, how to write bits, taught us how stagecraft, how when you go on stage, you know, you, you establish your, your, your dominance by going on, grabbing the mic, taking the mic stand, moving it to the back. Stand up there like a professional, mm-hmm. you know, instead of taking the mic out to stand and then stand there with the stand in front of you like you see some new mm-hmm. stupid comics do because they don't know. <laughs> right. Right. So this establishes dominant, you know, you know, and then you just take charge of the room. And so they taught me how to write, how to take charge of the room, how to use the mic, how to be on stage, how to interact with the audience, how to uh, make eye contact, how to use facial expressions. They taught me all the techniques of comedy from uh, what a callback is when you call back to a certain joke, right? Somebody else may have done, right? Or or a joke within your set that you call back to the same punchline. Taught me the simple truth, which is uh, just telling the truth about something. Um, they taught me the rule of three and all the different techniques that comedians use when you're writing and inserting your and making your act. 
you know, you, that callback thing, it strikes me, and I, I won't say it because, well, we're not ter- terribly a, a family show. I still probably would. My mom does listen every once in a while. But I was watching the David Chappelle special uh-huh. that came out, the la- and that entire hour-long thing was one big st- callback. St- callback. The first joke and the last. It all tied together from beginning to end. Now, which one? Because I've seen all of them. Are you talking about when you're talking about O.J., all the three times you met O.J., or or the time when he said? Yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Or when he said he, he can write a joke backwards. Yes, that's where he the, said, yes. yeah, I like that too. That was the one. And it was like, said, wow, again. And he full said the punchline. Yes. And, yeah. And we do that. Yeah. Like sometimes you write a joke, you think of a punchline first. Like I'll give you a great example. Um, my my comedy album I, I did in 2015, the name of my album is called Dwayne Gill, Totally Doable. Okay? Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Totally Doable. And I, I came up with that uh, punchline because I saw on TV one day this guy on the league, remember that show, the league? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and then Taco was on the show, and he says, "Man, girls like me, I'm totally doable." And I was like, "I like that, right?" <laughs> so I immediately wrote it down, you know, because you got to write stuff down because you forget. And so I said, "Now I got to construct a joke because I said that could be a T-shirt, right?" Because a lot of times comedians sell T-shirts at shows to make extra money. So I said, "I'm gonna sell a T-shirt that says totally doable on it, right?" So I said, "Now I got to write the joke." So. Now, when I go on stage, usually the first joke I say is, man, it's so good to be here. Looking in the faces of the audience, I know what you guys are doing. Yeah, you're judging me. All you guys are looking at me saying, is he funny, right? And all the ladies are looking at me saying, totally doable, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) Always gets a laugh, right? And then I slide into my set, and then I do about 45 minutes to an hour. Then at the end of the show, I say, hey, when I first came on stage, first thing I said was, I know you guys are looking at me, you're judging me. Guys are saying, is he funny? Well, guys, was that funny for you? And they say, yeah. So, ladies, totally doable. <laughs> they go, yeah. <laughs> and then you get some guys that go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's my. How thing. much of your set? Because I was watching some um, this week, getting mm-hmm. ready for this. That's how too much? Bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was late. Um, how much of? When you walk in and you do a little bit of interplay with, with the people sitting there, like it's, it's obviously the stuff that you've got prepared, but you're also looking around and making fun of people sitting at the, in the audience. Do you, do you bank on that or if it just hits you like there's someone there and he's like, yeah, I can, I can make a joke about that person and you just do it on, on the fly? Or do you – how do you interact with the audience like that? Okay. I was, I was going to let you finish. <laughs> I want to take it all in. Well, this is what I do. I, first of all, I do material on, on set. I do, I do material. Uh, comedy bookers, agents, managers, they want to see a comedian do material. Okay, that's where I was trained. I'm not that guy that goes in and picks on the guy in the front of the audience. I, j- I just don't do that because I wasn't trained that way. Now, if something happens and lightning strikes or, you know, get lightning in a bottle, yeah. But what I do do when I show up, I, I look at the room, I find out what everybody's up to get an idea if I'm doing a show for a company, what that company does, uh, who are their competitors, you know, um, who they hate, um, what's the crappy town around that everybody talks about, you know, and then I go in and I do that first joke that I just did with you guys, and then I may do some local material, right? So if I'm here in Lansing, I may do some. So it looks like we got everybody from Bath here, you know, or Potterville, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something funny where everybody laughs. Oh, he knows about us. Those crappy people live in Potterville. <laughs> <laughs> so I do some local stuff and then uh, just to endear the crowd to me, uh, especially if I'm if I'm out of town, out of state. I'll do something local. I'll read the paper before I show up, find out what everybody's talking about, and then maybe do a joke to that because that's going to make uh, brings everybody together. And then once I get them, you know, kind of warmed up, then I slide into my act to the prepared jokes that I, material that I have for my show, okay? Now, if somebody heckles me or somebody keeps interrupting my show, I'll go after them, mm-hmm. Okay. But most of the time, I try not to, and I don't get a lot of hecklers because my material's interesting because I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't heckle that's, awesome that's and right. interesting people. There you go. <laughs> or they te- they confident teach, uh, people. Or confident people, absolutely. <laughs> you have that going for you. Thank You're you. also the police officer. That's got a police officer thing going for you, too. Yeah, yeah. but I don't even introduce you don't carry the on fact. St- you don't carry on stage. Sometimes I do if I'm in Detroit. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I, I don't even introduce the police officer part of my act until maybe about 
20 minutes in, okay. you know, because I'm doing all of the kind of stuff. And then when I tell them I'm a cop, they, whoa, and it kind of takes them by surprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there, where, who is the comedian that you shared a stage with that you thought, wow, I can't believe I'm here tonight at this festival or at this club or at this show, and this person's here too? Man, it's a couple people. Uh, well, uh, Tim Allen. Uh, I got a call up from Mark Ridley to come and open up for Tim. Okay. That was awesome. You know, f- and uh, of course, my wife's like, I'm going to that show. <laughs> and I, I said, you didn't want to go with me to pick up Arkansas the other day. Uh, Tim Allen, that was great. But one of my favorite people, man. Oh, man. Uh, you guys ever heard of George Wallace? Mm-hmm. Uh, George Wallace, Mr. Las Vegas. He's a, a comic. He started out with Jerry Seinfeld back in the 70s. And he's always been like a comedy hero of mine. Whenever I read books about comedy, I always, actually, I pattern my life after him because he used to be an ad executive uh, in on uh, Fifth Avenue in New York. And he made, back, this is in the 70s, he was making like $150,000 a year back then. But he wanted to do stand-up comedy. So him and Jerry used to go down to the village and do do sets and stuff. And he said, I'm not taking no vile poverty. I, I'm going to keep working my day job until I can make enough money to support myself. And so when I read that, that he said that, I was like, well, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to keep working and provide for my family until I can make enough to, you know. And so one day I was at a comedy festival in Laughlin, Nevada, and I got invited to, and he showed up to check it out because he lives right in Vegas. So him and Sinbad came down just to hang out. And uh, Sinbad did a set, and then George came over and uh, to, to watch the, the, the final. I was in the final showcase, and I'm all confident. You know, man, my, my comedy hero's here, you know. <laughs> I said, George, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Wait till you see me, man, you know. So this guy goes on before me, and his name is Hippie Man. Never forget it. Hippie, Hippie man. man. That's comedian. Google him. This guy is hilarious. <laughs> he goes up there to this Laughlin crowd and just crushes. I mean, he kills. I mean, there's blood everywhere. You know, <laughs> just, you know, people with no arms and legs. <laughs> That's how comics say, right? He just crushes, right? But I'm like, whatever. I got Dwayne Gill. I got my stuff together. So they go and they, so he, Kippy Man gets off and they introduce me and I go up there and I eat it. <laughs> I mean, I ate a bag of crap so bad. They were not buying what I was selling, Maddie. Okay. And so then I just ate it, man. And so then when I came off stage, I said, George, I don't know what happened. What? He says, let me tell you what happened. Come over here. He says, remember the guy in front of you? How funny he was? I said, yeah. Hippie man. He says, well, he left, and then you came on stage, and the people hated you because they loved him. They enjoyed him, but you had to come and stop their enjoyment. So the way you combat that is, is that when you go on stage, you make sure you say, hey, man, didn't you guys enjoy Hippie Man? Wasn't he the best? Come on, give him a big round of applause. And then maybe call back to a couple of his jokes in his act to get them focused back on you and to be happy with you being there, and you would have did fine. And that was a lesson that I learned that was a, a very good lesson because now whenever, because I'm the headliner, so I'm the, the, the star of the show on every show that I'm on. So a lot of times I have a warm-up comedian in front of me. So now I know that if the warm-up is crushing, you know, and I always stay in the room and watch, I don't, I'm not no stuck-up guy that goes to the green room and drinks. I'm like, right, call me whenever you get ready. I, so I watch, and then I take mental notes, and then I go up, and I give that guy all his props, and then I may even call back to a joke or two until they endear myself to him, and then I do my thing. Are those people opening for you? Or are they just locals wherever, they, wherever you happen to be, or do you have people that kind of go on the road with you, and you have like a guy that sort of – comes on before you both you hit okay both both now um a lot of times when i get booked by different agencies they'll call me hey Dwayne, can you do a show in omaha on such and such a date um but you got to bring somebody okay so i got a stable of a couple of comedians well i got a few because i mentor comics too and uh i got a few that i take on the road with me uh, whenever i call them hey man are you available on this date da, da, da. and then uh but then sometimes um 
the venue will provide uh, okay. a feature or or somebody, and I have to deal with whoever the hell they 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 put me up with. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, can I say hell? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the FCC but I will be calling. To have my own. How much of the work, the bookings that you get are things that your agent sets up for you, or that you have to you are having to market yourself on your own, whether through oh. however you do that? Great question. Uh, I would say about thirty five percent of my act shows. Are booked through my agent, maybe thirty-five to forty percent. Uh, the rest, I get, I get about twenty-five percent off. Of, I got an online booking agent called Gigmasters. I don't know if they can say that, but Gigmasters. Uh, dot com. I've been with them for ten years. I love them because they're a virtual agent, right? I put a profile up on their website. Uh, the analytics are really, really good. So that whenever somebody Googles need a comedian Lansing, need a comedian Detroit, my name usually pops up in the first couple of searches. It's, it's awesome. And I pay a fee to be hosted on their site every year. Been a member for 10 years. I've been a gig master, uh, comic of the year, three years running. I'm a five-star comedian on there. So I get a lot of gig requests that come through. And I get them on my email, and then I, I send back an email, and then we negotiate, and I get a gig, right? Love it. Um, other than that, I get shows off of my website. So I have a regular website, DwayneGill.com. I've got a speaker website, and i got a comedy website. So it depends on whatever the client may want. They may want a speaker, and I can do keynote speaking and talk about whatever leadership or talk about overcoming adversity or talk about my time in the Marine Corps, whatever whatever the client wants. Or I can go to stand-up comedy side, and they can see some of my video, see clients that I've played for and whatnot, and then they can click Book Dwayne on there. Email comes straight to me, and either I negotiate the uh, the, the deal or I have a, uh, I have a uh, close personal friend who uh, does some of my booking for me. And I send it to him. And he does it, and I give him like 15, 20%. And he has a vested interest of getting the money up because the <laughs> more money I make, the more money he makes. <laughs> do you have a Facebook page? And I do. Mm -hmm. I have Facebook. I got Twitter. I got a couple of websites that I can't speak about on here. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> you got to throw some jokes in here, too. That's good. I, like and, uh, I like it. I got, I got all that stuff. So I'm on I'm Instagram. Good. I'm on Instagram too, so I, I do what the kids do. You know, what's your Instagram handle? The Comedy Cop. Is it the same for Twitter? Uh, no, it's so it shall be the same. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm helping promote yourself. What <laughs> oh, is well, it? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my Twitter is oh, my Twitter is, is just uh, Dwayne L. Gill. Dwayne, okay. Twitter Dwayne Gill. And they could we could find you on Facebook with your just your name as well. Dwayne L. Gill. Yep. Yep. Me or my son. So, but mostly me. So when you started in '93, obviously. There was no Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. No. The internet was barely around no. then. Yeah. How and then you took took a bit of a break. How was it different when you to promote yourself with the when the internet age? Oh man, oh, not, man. He does. You've been doing this a while. These are really good questions. <laughs> um, well, when I came back to comedy in the early two thousands, right? Um, they used to have remember message boards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, remember those, right? Yeah. So I used to, there was a few comedy message boards that I used to be on. A few of them were coming out of New York, and just you know getting out there and putting messages out on the message boards. Um, and then I even invested in my own website back then. I, I was one of the first comedians that even had a website. Um, uh, and uh, and that's it's a funny story because that's what got me kicked off the governor's detail <laughs> because I had a website and the state police was pissed about it. And I had a website. And uh, and I used to sell merchandise on my website. So I used to sell this. I used to sell like gag gifts. And they had it was it was another website you can attach to your website to sell mm -hmm. stuff. You know, Cafe Press. I think sure. it was called. Oh yeah, remember Cafe yes. Press? Yes. Yeah. And so I used to sell this. Uh, I sold like uh, mouse pads, coffee mugs with my picture on there, stupid stuff. And then I sold a thong. Right, because <laughs> a buddy of mine used to sell thongs. Is this we're gonna call back booty call? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it was a thong with my picture on it, like this, <laughs> and it said, "It said everything's better with butter or something." Right? <laughs> and man, the state police didn't like that. Oh man, let me tell you something. Man. 
Somebody in the governor's office did not like that at all. And they called the state police. And the next thing you know, I get hauled in on January 5th, 2005, and told me, you leaving the detail. You were sending you to the post, you know. And uh, and then they told me, you can't tell anybody why we're kicking you off the detail. You, you Your cover story is, uh, they gave me a cover story. They gave me talking points. Like, <laughs> like, you you want to do your comedy more, and that this opportunity presented itself for you to go here. And they said, me to a fugitive team first right because i used to work undercover years ago and so and it was kind of a good spot and they said but if you tell anybody why we kicked you off the detail we're sending you to the post you're gonna work a midnight shift and you never do comedy again oh <laughs> so i was like okay i'll keep my mouth shut so i was on the fugitive team for like six months loved it and everything I had a lot of fun and i still was doing my comedy and then um all of a sudden, in June of 2005, they was like, uh, "We need. We're sending you to the post." I said, "But I did what you guys asked me to do," and they said, "Well, we don't have any control over that. You go to the post." And so, I was pissed, and I said, "You know what? I'm gonna make sure I let everybody in the world know what type of duplicitous folks you are." And 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 I said a lot of other words, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but again, God puts you in places where you may not want to be, but He knows you need to be there. And it was a, it was a need to be there to uh, display leadership for those young troopers at the post. And I still got to work in daytime and do my thing at night. So things happen for a reason. You know, we don't know it at the time. And you're upset about it and you're mad. But things always work out. Who's the funniest person out there that you think of? Who's the, oh, your that favorite? Was, that was going to be my question, yeah. Sorry. Chappelle. Chappelle. Yeah. Man, Chappelle is just... Even even Kevin Hart says Chappelle is funny, you know. And I've worked with Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. He's giving me he's giving me some really good advice about my act. Um, uh, yeah, Chappelle is the funniest guy on the planet. Now, Hart is the most marketable guy. Okay, because I mean this guy. Like we worked together in 2012. I won a contest. I went to Vegas with him, and it was awesome. I mean, he just. But it's that social media. Is gaining those followers and 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 being responsive to fans and talking to them, interacting with them, and not to mention he got a bunch of movies, you know. That, that never hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so he may be making more money than Chappelle and whatnot, but Chappelle, Chappelle been putting the work in. You know, he's been a comic since he was fourteen years old. He used to go to Duke Ellington High School in Washington D.C. for the performing arts. And he was a professional stand-up comedian at 14 to 15 years old. His mother used to have to take him to the club. And he was crushing. He said he was like a superhero. <laughs> he was crushing during the day, you know, during that night and then going to school during the day, you know. But yeah, that's my guy. That's your guy. Yep. Yep. He's the funniest guy to me. Well, how often do you have to and how do you do it? I imagine you've been doing comedy for twenty plus years. Yeah, yeah. So you've you've got to constantly be working in new material. So you're writing all the time. Yeah, that's the hard part because what happens is I work, well, I've got the two jobs, right? Right. So I work so much during the day, so I got to get that job right, right? And then I perform so much. So I don't have a lot of time to do an open mic or go someplace to, to work out new material. So when inspiration does hit me and I write something down, I will, I will audition the joke during a set of a paid show that I got booked at. So I will sandwich the joke in between two good bits and see if it stands on its own. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like Jerry Seinfeld says, it's like, like having the joke make the team, you know, because he always <laughs> about baseball, you know. And so if the joke gets a hit, he gets, stays in the lineup. If it doesn't, he's benched or he gets, goes down to double A. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so. There's jokes that I used to do in 2005, 2007 that every now and then still creep into my act. But then a lot of those stuff's been recycled. But I have an act. I have a 60-minute act that I do that from start to finish that mostly the same. Now, I just recorded uh, another – I just recorded a show last Saturday in Virginia that – this guy is going to put on a label and he's going to cut it up and put it in bits and he's going to submit it to Sirius XM. So I'm playing on XM now, but XM has really won some new content. So I gave him a bunch of new content and hopefully that'll be on Sirius uh, in the next uh, few months or so. But now I'm going to have to get rid of all that and come up with new stuff 
and it's hard. It's hard. Is there stuff you d- you did in '93 or stuff you did when you came back after the seven years that you just can't do anymore? Well, the culture I, to, changes so quickly. To be totally honest, I can't even remember what I did in the <laughs> '90s. Okay, because it was so awful. All right, <laughs> <laughs> it was that it was that god awful. All right. But a joke that I did in 2004, uh, still in my act, it's like kind of like my signature joke where I talk about when I first became a state trooper and uh, I didn't know where they were going to send me for my first assignment. And they sent me to a place called Ionia, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and and the funny thing was I had to learn how to investigate crimes I never heard of before a day in my life. Right? I had my first investigation was a stolen John Deere tractor. Yes. <laughs> And the farmer thought it was funny when I asked him, what color is it? <laughs> so that's kind of like my signature, f- most uh, favorite joke that everybody puts me with. So whenever I see cops or other people, oh, man, love that John Deere joke, man. John Deere, uh, black guy didn't know what color John Deere was. <laughs> Do you ever get sick of, like, telling the same jokes? Because I listen to a lot of podcasts that are comedian podcasts and they'll talk about their acts and like they'll they'll work on an act they'll get an hour and then they'll record it and then they throw it out because they're just like i'm i'm sick of these jokes i've been telling these jokes every night for for 12 months i'm done with it and then they like start over and it seems like it's like this cathartic thing that they need to do it is but those comedians the good thing about them is that they're doing it full time and they're in new york or they're in l.a uh, you know, let's let's bring let's 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 bring up this guy, Louis C.K. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Before the Me Too movement, right. okay? Yeah. Yep. I love Louis C.K. Right, right. We still like him, funny guy, right? Yeah. You know, just like we still like Cosby, some people. And uh, <laughs> but Louis, what he used to do after he did a special, he would take those jokes. I don't know if you guys knew this, and he would set them. He would do a funeral for his jokes. He kind of weird like that, and he would set them on fire. You know, and the paper, whatever he wrote him on, and he never do, never do those jokes ever again. Wow. Which made him go to the club each night and go up on stage and work out new material. I don't have that luxury, right. okay? Because number one, it's no comedy club here in Lansing. I still got a day job I gotta go to, and then I still got obligations at night when I gotta go do the act that they want to see the John Deere damn tractor joke, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I figure that when I do retire and I get to do this full time. I'll uh, I'll have some more time to devote to writing some new stuff. Okay, I got two questions that kind of came out of that. One, sure. do you think connections closing? Like, did that really hurt the comedy scene here in Lansing? Do you think that's absolutely something that we have? Yeah, connections been around was around for like twenty five years. You know, I mean, they even talked about connection. They didn't call it connection. They just talked about Jerry Seinfeld going to Lansing and doing comedy on the weekend in the very first episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. Did you guys know that? Yep. that? He's like, yeah, where'd you come? Where were you at this weekend? I was in Lansing. You know, I met a girl and she's coming to, for the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. And he finds out she got a boyfriend. <laughs> 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 His fiance, you know, right? But Connections, Frank Stevens owned it and uh, everybody came through there. Drew Carey, Seinfeld from the 80s and whatnot. Um, but, you know, Frank, um, bless him. I mean, he just... He kept the first nickel he ever owned, ever got. And so he made so much money, and he was like, I'm done. And he retired, and he lives over in Canadian Lakes now on the lake, and nobody's doing comedy here on the weekly, you know. They still got little rooms like Max and, you know, Green Door may Mm -hmm. do something, you know. But this guy ain't doing that. I'm 55 years old, man. I'm I'm at home watching 60 Minutes on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out what Orange Hitler is doing. So. <laughs> I'm the, sorry. The other thing <laughs> I want to <laughs> Joe's the only one offended by that joke. That's <laughs> <laughs> what the Fuhrer is doing, man. <laughs> and let me tell you, let me tell you this. I don't do any political stuff in my comedy. I don't do any. Because first of all, it divides the room. Okay, mm-hmm. and second of all, I don't think anything is funny about what's going on in this world right now. Mm-hmm. It is terrifying. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in that vein a little bit. Do you think? Well, no, I mean it's related, but I feel like people are just more and more sensitive about everything every single day. Is that making your job tougher? Are you seeing that like in your crowds? Is it like? Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. It is making it so hard, man. You can get I your mean, box of Kleenex over there. Oh, dude, man, oh, I can, oh, I can tear up about it. 
But these folks nowadays are so offended. And I, I don't know if you're millennial or not. Or I, I, I am. So is Joe. These, <laughs> I, th- I think it was, what's the, what's the generation after you guys? Is X or? Generation Z. X is before, X. before was the Z? 80s. I think it's Z. Oh, Z. Yeah. I mean, these kids nowadays, oh, my God. <laughs> they are so offended at everything. And and I just did a, I did a corporate gig in Grand Rapids for a company. I ain't going to tell you the name. Um, but when they called me and wanted me, I booked them off of Gigmasters, and they said, well, we're really concerned about diversity and inclusion and any offense and this and that. <laughs> da, da, da. I want to make sure that you act appropriate, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you see my video. Oh, yeah, we like it, and we want you. I said, well, listen, if you are, and this is me on the phone with the CEO. I said, if you are that concerned about my comedy or offending somebody, maybe you don't need a comedian. I'm trying to turn the gig down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you maybe you don't need me. Maybe you should do something else. Get karaoke or get some clowns in there. You know, <laughs> whatever. Maybe you don't need Dwayne Gill. No, 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 no. We really want you to, you know, and it was a thousand dollars on a Tuesday. So I was <laughs> like Drive okay, Grand Rapids. Yeah, yeah. Grand Rapids. So I said, okay. So I show up and uh, it's all these Generation Z kind of kids and uh there's some type of internet company. Uh, whatever they do, some I don't care what they do because I hate them now. <laughs> and uh, I get up there and start doing my act, and they're they're looking at the CEO and they're kind of not laughing, kind of scared. You know, it's kind of like I got my finger up their butt. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you that's can a do new that. phrase I'm adding yeah. to my own yeah. vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean. <laughs> You know, when you do that, it's a little uncomfortable at first, but after a while, you, you kind of like it. So, but they just were not feeling it at all. And uh, it's the first time I started sweating in a while. I started sweating a little bit, but I did it and I got off, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, it was cool. Yeah, you know, blah, blah. but it was that kind of like, yeah, kind of polite niceness. Then I left. And what Gig Masters does, after you get done doing a show for a client, they send an email where they got to rate you. And they got to give you your star rating, one to five stars. And this jerk gives me four stars for uh, attendance, appearance, uh, uh, like, you know, able to, you know, show whatever. But the last one is, uh, you know, was the biggest one, which is like um, overall satisfaction, three stars. I never got three stars before. Never. I always a five-star comic. And so then I get a chance to rebut. You know, send an email back and say, hey, you know, I even tried to get out of this gig. I didn't realize how sensitive they were, but obviously they were so butthurt about it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry. No, I'm adding that one, too. Is she she human resources here? So anyway, (laughs) so so I told him, I said, you know what, I don't care. So now, after that gig, and that was like about a month ago, Mm -hmm. I talk about it. It's the new part of my act. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Oh man, dude, it's just ugh, ugh. But yeah, it happens. It happens. You eat it every now and then. You eat it. You know, I did a show for one company. Again, I can't tell you the name of them, but their initials are DTE. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't like my act at all. They're she not wrote a client. A, don't worry. She wrote a scathing email to my agent, you know, about it, and and I like whatever, you know, keep the power on and the criticism down, you know. What I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll give you five stars. We'll give yeah. you. Yeah, appreciate stars. it. And we appreciate you coming by and stopping. Oh, does it? Well. We could be here all day, but we we probably <laughs> should one, we yeah. should probably yeah. wrap this up. I'm sorry, me to talk so long. No, that's, no, why, no, that's, that's kind of why we had you here. We Do you have it. any questions for me? I asked you questions. <laughs> <laughs> good, everybody good? We're good? Everybody's good. Man, that was fun. That was actually kind of um, it was actually kind of therapeutic for me to get some of the stuff off my chest. You know, okay. even though I saw we'll my therapist we'll earlier. Happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we came for the comedy. We stayed for the state police gossip. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that we do that off the set. Well. Your, your website again, DwayneGill.com? Yep, D-W-A-Y-N-E-G-I-L-L, DwayneGill.com is my website. I'm at The Comedy Cop on Instagram, Dwayne L. Gill on Facebook, and I think that's about it. You got some shows coming up? Yeah, actually, I'm doing a show in Jackson tonight uh, for the Children's Hospital down there. Everybody Asia. listening next Thursday will miss that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then, oh, um, where am I at next week? Uh, if you just... Uh, indulge me a moment. Uh, actually, I'm in Bay City on the 10th. 
at the State Theater, Bay City on the 10th at State Theater. Come out and see me. It'll be great. I love it up there. State Theater is beautiful. And uh, everybody up there is really nice, and they're starving for some entertainment. Cool. Well, Dwayne, thanks for stopping by. It was fun. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Nikki has um, a desire, a need, as she says, to clear the air. I need to so clear what's the, the air. deal? Okay, so in the beginning of this podcast, we discussed that I am now two strikes in <laughs> on this job of mine. That means so there's only one left. <laughs> I only got one left before Matt fires me. Um, no, so I would like to clear the air. So the first thing is I spent $700 on an ad campaign when I was only supposed to spend 30 <laughs> but <laughs> But I got the money back. From Facebook, and we essentially got that campaign for free <laughs> because I got the money back. So that, I, I think that's actually like a bloop single, not a strike. I fixed it. Yeah, yeah, I fixed it. Number two, <laughs> I accidentally deleted all of our Dropbox files, fifty thousand worth. Ten, but ten years of toil. Ten. <laughs> My entire career. <laughs> but we got them back. Sort of three times. So yes, it's not perfect, but it's fixed for the most part. It's so, not fixed. So it's by mostly fixed. Not fixed. So by fixed, you mean Neutered. they came back three <laughs> times and all of our computers are <laughs> crashing because none of us have the space to house any of it. I think it's just your computer that's the problem now, which I feel really, I mean, I feel really awful and dumb that this happened, but I feel like it's getting fixed. My computer <laughs> actually hope. is giving me positive messages now in my Dropbox where it'll say, it's not just the little green check mark that tells you it's all synced. It now says... Everything here is up to date or some like really positive affirmation. So oh, I feel I feel pretty good. I don't know what's up with your computer. Right, yeah. I am unsynced because, yeah, I can't use it. So not fixed yet as far as I Thanks, can tell. Joe. I was trying to find something computers. positive about this whole experience and Joe just yeah. doesn't took work. my thunder. It doesn't work. You need a decent computer with more than like 50 meg of memory on it. No, I need a Dropbox that isn't like taking up an entire computer's worth of space. I, it's, a, it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable. So that's one of the reasons of why I bought this thing was because I'd been trying to use my laptop and the laptop just didn't have the room even for my personal Dropbox on it because all my pictures and music and everything are on there. And so I just, I have to use a laptop for work. For those of you who can't yeah, tell Stephanie what she just pointed a, a NASA. to. <laughs> she, she has like Apollo 13 screen like in front of her was as far as mm-hmm. the size. Yeah. yeah. So so anyway, I'm not So perfect. is the air it's sufficiently fixed. cleared? You feel you yes, feel like you're in a I good place? I just don't want people thinking I'm an idiot and I can't do my job. <laughs> like I do fix things. <laughs> Since we're talking about swings and misses and strikes and things, I, the baseball analogy is you're, you're like the Yasiel Puig of the office. Okay, yes. Okay. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I don't know who that you is. You swing and miss every now and again. There's a headache here or there. But really, it's like World Series MVP caliber stuff the rest of the way. Oh, thank you. I'll take that yeah. as a compliment. Thank you. Except they did get embarrassed in the World Series. But it wasn't Yasiel Puig's fault. Okay. So are you buying us all supercomputers? Is that the end of this? Is that? I guess that's what it's going <laughs> to take. I just like how I tried to call Dropbox and it doesn't get a dial tone and no one answers the phone. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. It's a real jank system. Yeah. I was disappointed. Um, while we're on the topic, I am going to put in a plug for the iMac Pro. It's the uh, very awesome computer. It's the best computer I've ever owned. All you have to do is think something and it happens twice. It's awesome. You hear that, Apple? Yeah. So quickly, I was curious. After we talked to Dwayne, have any of you ever attempted stand-up comedy? Any, any standing up in front of people and saying something funny? I, I, I think anyone who's listened to this uh, this podcast probably knows the evidence is pretty strong that no, none of us <laughs> Absolutely have ever <laughs> been forced to say something funny. I have sung in public, which is the worst thing I've ever done. But also, f- but also well. funny. But not <laughs> funny. More like pity-inducing. But it was, um, yeah, it was an attempt. 
at getting up on stage, which is kind of. Joe, you've wanted to, you want to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I've never done it. And I mean, I do, but I don't. I think it'd be awesome to be able to say whatever you want, not answer anyone and try to make people laugh for a living. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great, but I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to, the actual act of traveling around the country and living out of a hotel and all that. I just wouldn't want to do it. But Have you tried writing jokes or anything like I, that? Part of how I try to keep sane, though you guys probably question if that's even something I'm successful at, is uh, I will, if, I have, if a joke comes to me, I have jokes that I'll write down that are jotted down in little notebooks everywhere. So I could probably put together a very offensive tight five. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> And go do it somewhere, but we should do an open. We need to find yeah. an open mic. We should do an open yeah. mic podcast. None of you could ever. No, <laughs> <Just> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not going to be any need to bleep any of that. Well, I have to think that for so many people are petrified of standing up and talking in front of people. When you add the, but if you're talking to just a group of people, you could they can kind of fake their interest level. You can't fake whether people are laughing or not. That's just got to be a. See, I don't think it would be. I think it'd be funny to bomb. I think it'd be. I wanted to ask him, but he kind of he kind of told the story about when he bombed. Right. And he did that. I wanted to ask him what it feels like in a room when you know you're you know you're bombing and you have forty five minutes more. To right. Go. <laughs> I'm sure it's terrible, but I kind of think it would. I I don't know. For me, I think I'm sure you'd go do it, and I would. I would laugh about it afterwards, or at least I feel like I would. I think it. But it's yeah. It's your. There's only one way to find out. It's your job. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I will always laugh. Even if the comedian is bombing, I will laugh because I don't want him to feel bad. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I will. I'll. I'll do. That. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that makes him feel really. Yeah, good. that seems worse. Yeah. <laughs> he said, "Thumb up the butt." That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> he did say that, and we were we are appreciative that Dwayne stopped by to talk with us on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, this has been the Rest Strategies team at reststrategies.com. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if Nikki's with us next time. If Dropbox can get figured out, we will uh, we maybe a slimmer team. <laughs> if the company's left with no files. I hope to still be here, guys. I okay. really do. Good. Um, again, Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>